we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We are now in 2 Samuel chapter 13. We, we come to verse number 21, 2 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 21. Uh, if you were with us last week, we began our study in chapter number 13. We've been going through the life of David, if you're just now joining us. And uh, chapter number 11, 12, and 13 have been extremely difficult chapters because of the subject material. In chapter number 11, we see the sin that David committed with Bathsheba, the sin of adultery. To cover his sin, when he learned that Bathsheba was with child, he had Uriah come. Uriah was her husband. He had, her come, had him come back from the battle, hoping to coerce him to go home to his wife. And his plan failed, and so he sent Uriah back to the battle with instructions to Joab to have Uriah placed at the forefront of the battle and then to withdraw and to ensure that Uriah died. And that is what Joab did. And Uriah was killed in battle. But David then was able to take Bathsheba to be his wife and the child was born. Nathan the prophet pronounced judgment against David and told him that the Lord had put his sin away. Aren't you glad that God, our God, is a God who puts our sin away? In spite of the fact that his sin was put away, there were still consequences that David would face, the chastening hand of God. And as we come to chapter number 13, we noted that the sword that Nathan said would arise in the house of David and that would never depart from the house of David has begun to devour. In chapter 13, we saw this horrific act of Amnon as he forced his half-sister Tamar. He coerced her, he deceived his father and deceived her and brought her into the house, sent all the servants out, and then he forced himself upon her. He had received counsel from a friend named Jonadab who had given him a plan to the plan that he followed and the plan that he carried out. And then after he committed this act against Tamar, the Bible said he despised her. And he defiled her and he despised her and he discarded her and he sent her away. And the Bible tells us that she was desolate. And she went to stay in her brother Amnon's house. And so we pick up in verse 21, the Bible says, but when King David heard of all these things, he was very wroth, he was angry. And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shearers in Baal Azor, which is beside Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, now thy servant hath sheep shearers. Let the king, I beseech thee, and his servants go with thy servant. And the king said to Absalom, Nay, my son, let us 
not all now go, lest we be chargeable unto thee. And he pressed him, albeit he would not go, but blessed him. Then said Absalom, if not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said unto him, why should he go with thee? But Absalom pressed him that he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servant, saying, Mark ye now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say unto you, Smite Amnon, then kill him. Fear not, have not I commanded you, be courageous and be valiant. And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's son arose, sons arose, and every man gat him upon his mule and fled. And it came to pass while they were in the way that the tidings came to David saying, Absalom hath slain all the king's sons and there is not one of them left. Then the king arose and tear his garments and lay on the earth and all his servants stood by with their clothes rent. And Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother answered and said, let not my Lord suppose that they have slain all the young men, the king's sons. For Amnon only is dead. For by the appointment of Absalom, this hath been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king take the thing to his heart to think that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon only is dead. But Absalom fled, and the young man that kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there came much people by the way of the hillside behind him. And Jonadab said unto the king, Behold, the king's sons come. As thy servant said, so it is. And it came to pass, as soon as he had made an end of speaking, that behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very sore. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. I'd like for you to go back with me, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter number 12. And notice once more the words of Nathan the prophet who warned David of these very acts when he said in verse 10, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. And I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. We noticed in the beginning of chapter number 13 the troubling consequences of sin. David's sins had come home to roost we saw the troubling consequence in the opening verses of Amnon's desire. He was a man filled with lust. That lust was fueled 
by the deception, as we saw the troubling consequences of Amnon's deception. He deceived himself. He was deceived uh, by his friend, Jonadab. He then deceived his father and then eventually his sister. We saw the troubling consequences of his deeds as he defiled his sister and left her desolate. And now we see the troubling consequences of his death. Amnon's death, all part of the consequences of David's sin. All part of the sword that Nathan told David would never depart from his house. Yes, David's sin had been put away. Yes, he was restored, but he was to deal with the consequences of his sin, and he is dealing with them here in chapter number 13. In fact, if we read ahead, we're going to find that he's going to continue to deal with them all the days of his life. And what a tragedy that one of his sons would end the life of another son. Amnon was the oldest he would have been, at least in the eyes of man, the, the person in line to be the king. We know that he did foolishly in his actions toward his sister. No doubt he disqualified himself and would have never become the king. But in the eyes of man, he was in line. Absalom desired to be the king. We know that because as we read ahead, we're going to find out what his motives are. But he's angry, he's upset because Amnon forced his sister Tamar. He assaulted her. And it's been two full years since the assault. Two years of desolation for Tamar. Two years of anger and apathy from David. Two years, perhaps, of guilt for Amnon. And two years of waiting for Absalom. And what has he been waiting for? Well, he's been waiting for the moment that he had and the moment that we read of in these verses when he was finally able to deal with Amnon and have him put to death. No doubt the coroner's report would have read this way. The official cause of Amnon's death was revenge. Revenge. Absalom had taken the sword of revenge firmly into his hand and he slew his brother Amnon. Now, as I read the Commentary that have been so helpful to me is preach the word commentary. And in this particular section, John Woodhouse is the author. And this is what he says of this chapter and of the subject of vengeance. He writes, one of the terrible consequences of human sinfulness is that we humans are very bad at dealing with sinfulness. We rarely get vengeance right. In the course of our lives, we all suffer from the sinfulness of others, just as others suffer in various ways from our sinfulness. The resulting desire to hurt someone who has hurt us can be very strong. And then he asks this question, but is it right? Is it right? In our hands, he says, vengeance becomes another expression of our own sinfulness, foolishness, and weakness. Now, we've all been hurt. We've all been offended. We've all had somebody say something about us or do something to us. 
Maybe that's happened in your family. There have been times, no doubt, when that has happened between believers. Maybe it's happened to you, some dreadful consequence on your job where someone has hurt you, offended you, where someone has done you wrong. And the natural instinct, the natural reaction is to take up the sword of vengeance, to to even the score. But that's not the way that God would have us to conduct ourselves. Go with me into the New Testament, would you please? Romans chapter number 12. Hold your place in 2 Samuel and go with me to Romans 12. In Romans chapter number 12, and we'll begin reading in verse number 17. These are the words of the Apostle Paul as the Holy Spirit of God inspired him to write them. And he says in verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. The word recompense means to pay, to repay, compensation. We all understand that term. Recompense to no man evil for evil. So if someone has treated you in an evil fashion, we are not as God's children to repay evil with evil. Provide things honest, he says, in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Absalom was angry, and we would all say he was right to be angry. David was angry, but David didn't, he didn't do anything about what Amnon had done. Amnon had forced Absalom's sister. He was angry. He had left her defiled and desolate and discarded. And he watched for two years, and he saw that his father did nothing, and his anger built up. He gave place to wrath. He allowed wrath to overtake him. And he took vengeance out of the hand of God and took it into his hand and he took that dreadful sword and he put Amnon to death. And the Bible warns us and reminds us time and time again that vengeance belongs to God. There's a reason. Because if you and I take the sword of vengeance up and we seek to settle the score, we do so from the perspective of sinful men. We're wrong in our thinking. We're wrong in our motives. We're not impartial. We're not righteous judges. And so he says to us in verse 21 in that verse, in in that same passage, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Warren Wiersbe writes, the problem with revenge is that it doesn't really solve any problems and eventually it causes the hurt of the perpetrator. Wiersbe quoting Francis Bacon writes, in taking revenge, a man is but even with his enemy. But in passing it over, passing over the offense, forgiving it, giving it to God, But in passing it over, he is superior. You see, the Lord Jesus is our example in this. Go with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter number 2. Would you turn there? 1 Peter chapter number 2. As we come to 1 Peter chapter 2, we find that 
Peter is writing to a persecuted church, a church that is suffering. He's writing to a group of people that are enduring persecution because of no fault of their own. And he writes to them in verse number 21, and he says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. In other words, God's people are going to suffer, and they're going to suffer for no good apparent reason other than the fact that they love the Lord Jesus. Verse 22, speaking of Christ, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. He suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Think of the suffering of Jesus as they mocked him, as they ridiculed him, as they spat upon him, as they lashed out with a cat of nine tails and tore the flesh from his body, as they made him carry his cross down the way of suffering and they lifted him up in shame and nakedness and they railed on him and they cursed him. Think of how they reviled him. Had you and I stood there knowing what we know, surely we would have protested. Surely we would have said something in anger. We would have thought, you people are going to get what you deserve. By the way, he was there for our sins too. Aren't you glad we didn't get what we deserve? You see, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, every sin you've committed against him is forgiven. You may be offended. Someone may have hurt you, but you, no one has ever offended and hurt you to the level and to the degree that you have offended and hurt the Son of God. And yet he has forgiven you. And while he suffered this, he was not interested in the work of retribution or revenge. He was there to accomplish the work of redemption. So he endured it. Verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. You see, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. What did he do then? He committed himself to him. That's his father that judgeth righteously. He did not take the sword of vengeance in his hand. By the way, there's coming a day when he'll come with that sword. But he was there to redeem us. And we are his ambassadors as his children. We are his ambassadors. So we do not bring the sword of vengeance. No, no. We bring the message of redemption to a lost and dying world. We've all heard the phrase, don't get mad, get even. And that may bring you a momentary satisfaction. But it could leave you with a lifetime of guilt. A lifetime of regret. And I want you to know, more importantly, it displeases the Lord. Because what we do is we take the sword of vengeance out of his rightful and righteous hands. And we put it in our dirty, defiled hands. And we start smiting those who have offended us. 
The Christian way is the way of forgiveness. And it's the way of faith. We trust the Lord. We commit to him that he will do as he sees fit. And so may God help us. May we be warned this morning that we not take up the sword of vengeance. Absalom took it up. And we learn much through his life. Now, I want to note four things this morning with you about this sword of vengeance. I hope you'll write them down and follow along with me. First of all, I want you to see that the sword of vengeance is a deceptive sword. It's a deceptive sword. We find that though Absalom had this sword in his hand, he extended at least superficially a hand of reconciliation. Look in verse number 23. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shearers in Belhazor, which is beside Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold now, thy servant hath sheep shearers. Let the king, I beseech thee, and his servant go with thy servant. And the king said to Absalom, Nay, my son, let us not... Let us not all now go, lest we be chargeable unto thee. And he pressed him, howbeit he would not go, but blessed him. You see, it was a time of celebration. It was time to shear the sheep. It was time to, to sell the wool. It was time to bring in the harvest and celebrate in the harvest. And so Absalom was having this, this festive occasion, and he was going to uh, spread the table for his family, and they were going to celebrate the, the harvest uh, of the sheep and what they had produced in their wool. But Amnon was using a tactic, a tactic of manipulation. He was seeking to win his father's blessing. And by inviting his father and his brothers to this celebration, he was pretending that reconciliation had come about. That everything was okay. That everything was forgiven. That he and Amnon were all right. And David or rather, Absalom knew that David, his father, would not go. He didn't want him to go. And so he made this offer to David, believing that David would turn this offer down, knowing that if he could then convince David to send Amnon, he would be able finally to fulfill his plan. And that is exactly what happened. David said, nay, my son, let us not all now go, verse 25, lest we be chargeable unto thee. In other words, David did not want to put the expense upon Absalom to host such a party. Absalom continued with this ruse. The Bible said he pressed him, howbeit he would not go, but blessed him. Then said Absalom, verse 26, if not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said unto him, why should he go with thee? But Absalom pressed him that he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. He said, hey, with a smile on his face, everything's good. But with hatred in his heart, he had the sword of revenge hidden away. You see, this sword is a deceptive sword. 
David was deceived to think that all would go well. Amnon was deceived to think that all was well. And Absalom was deceived into thinking that he was doing well. I'm going to even the score. I'm going to take care of him once and for all. My father's done nothing, so I'm going to take care of this. The sword of vengeance is a deceptive sword. You think, maybe as you carry it, that you're doing the right thing, that you're justified, but you're not. Vengeance belongs to God. We note, secondly, that the sword of vengeance is a deadly sword. Notice, if you would, please, in verse number 28, now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark ye now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. First of all, we note that he disarmed Amnon with wine. This was the tactic that David employed to try to get Uriah to lower his standards and convictions and to go uh, home. I want you to know that you're going to find many warnings against the consumption of wine and alcohol in the scripture. You're not going to see it portrayed in a positive light. When we think of wine, we think of a beverage that the people drank, the people of Israel drank, the fruit of the grape, not processed in some distillery, not made in some winery, infused in a greater way through the processes to make it contain more alcohol. I want you to know that God condemns drunkenness. And alcohol is never a suggested beverage for the people of God. And as we see it here in this context, what does it lead us to? Well, it leads Amnon to some false sense of security. It causes him to, 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 to lose his senses and makes him an easier victim for his brother. Maybe it deadened the pain of his conscience, but it dulled his senses. He disarmed Amnon with wine. Then he directed the servants to kill him. Notice again in verse 8, or 28 rather, and when I say unto you, smite Amnon, then kill him, Fear not, have not I commanded you, be courageous and be valiant. Notice that. When he, gets, when, he, when he gets a little tipsy, when he's let his guard down, when he's, he's not got such a firm grip on his sword, he begins to relax, and I give the command, smite him. Now notice how he says it, be courageous and be valiant. He uses heroic and honorable terms to describe his cowardly intention to kill his brother. It's really a deceptive sword, isn't it? We deceive ourselves. We think we're doing right. We think we're doing good. But in truth, we're not. And we don't realize that this sword is a deadly sword. Verse 29, and the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and every man got him upon his mule and fled. Why did they run? Well, the king's sons ran because they feared. That's why they ran. They didn't know what was happening. Was Absalom going to kill all of them? Well, somebody thought, somebody certainly thought that because that's what they're going to tell the king later. 
So the sons run, but then also the perpetrators run. In fact, we're told several times in this passage that Amnon fled. Well, why did they run? If they were doing the right thing in, 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 in executing vengeance upon Amnon, there was no reason to, f- to flee. So why did they flee? Well, they fled because they knew they weren't doing the right thing. You see, true justice has no reason to run. But they weren't doing the work of true justice. By the way, we live in a nation that's clamoring for justice, right? We want justice. No justice, no peace. So they take to the streets and burn down buildings and assault police officers in the name of justice. And then they flee. Proverbs 28, verse 1. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You see, when you take the sword out of the hand of God and you put it in your hand, you're going to bring destruction. The sword of vengeance is a deceptive sword. The sword of vengeance is a deadly sword. Be careful. Let me give you a third thing. The sword of vengeance is a distressing sword. What could have made this situation worse than it was? Well, we'll read of it in verse 30. A false report. And it came to pass while they were in the way that tidings came to David saying, Absalom has slain all the king's sons and there is not one of them left. Then the king arose and tear his garments and lay on the earth and all his servants stood by with their clothes rent. The last time we saw David do that is when he prayed for his son who was sick to be healed. The son that he and Bathsheba had given birth to. Now we find him on the ground pleading before the Lord, mourning, weeping in bitterness and anguish, no doubt reflecting upon the reason reason that he was there. And in his mind, he knew why he was there. It was because of what he had done. The guilt of his sin and a false report. But then we see a false friend, verse 32, Here comes Jonadab once again. And Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my Lord suppose that they have slain all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon only is dead. For by the appointment of Absalom, this hath been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. I don't think that we're going to read, in fact, I know we don't, where Jonadab admits that he's the one who gave Amnon the idea. He just simply says, this has been in the works since the day that he violated Tamar. Absalom has been filled with vengeance. Well, why didn't he say something earlier? He's a false friend. I have him pictured in my mind as a slithery sort of a fella. The Bible said he was subtle. And here he is with a smirk on his face watching the king suffer. 
He says in verse 34, the Bible tells us, but Absalom fled and the young man kept, that kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looking, behold, there came much people by the way of the hillside behind him. And Jonadab said to the king, behold, the king's sons come as thy servant said, so it is. He said, I'm the guy with good news, king. He's a false friend. We have a false report, fake news. We live in that time, don't we? By the way, it comes on both sides of the agenda, does it not? Used to sensationalize, used to inflame, used as clickbait. Let's make the story juicier. Here's a false friend who pretends to be uh, someone to comfort, but he's no comforter. He's responsible in, in a large measure. And then we see the tears. Verse 36, and it came to pass as soon as he had made an end of speaking that behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very sore. Well, I imagine that David was relieved to see that not all of his sons were dead. There's no doubt that he was relieved to see it. And they had ran for their lives in fear, not knowing what was happening, not knowing what was going on. But now they're all together. And what are they doing? They're in tears. They're in distress. I just want to say this to you. The sword of vengeance causes distress. And it affects the lives of many. Be careful. Be careful before you take it up. Uh, we see here a fourth thing. The sword of vengeance is a dividing sword. It's a dividing sword. Look in verse 37. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, king of Geshur. That was his grandfather. He had all this worked out. He had a place to stay. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. Amnon was the one who appeared to be the future king. And now he's dead. And David mourns his son every day. Absalom is the one who wanted to be the future king. And that's going to become more and more clear to us as we continue through 2 Samuel. Absalom is the one who wielded the sword of vengeance, who settled the score, but now he's on the run. Why is he on the run? Because he knows he's committed a crime. He knows he's displeased his father. And the Bible tells us that David longed to go forth unto him. In reading commentaries on that statement, commentators are, are really not sure what that means. In other words, does it mean that he longed to go for him and see him and be reconciled? Or did he long to go after him to carry out retribution? If you read chapter 14, which we're going to be in, God willing, next week, and I would encourage you to read it, and beyond, you're going to find that David would not allow Amnon to come back. I think really what we find then here is both things are true. He longed to deal with Absalom, 
but he also longed to be restored to him. And so this family is now divided. Where is Tamar? She's desolate. By the way, did Tamar receive any help from this? There was no healing for her hurt, not with the sword of Absalom. Amnon is now dead. There's no possible way to carry out justice against him. He's been murdered. There's no path of restoration for him. His life is over. And Absalom is separated from his family. That's what vengeance does. It separates families. It severs relationships. It splits churches. Somebody did me wrong, and they've got to pay. That's the reaction of the flesh. That's the reaction of the world. That's the reaction of the devil. But it is not the response of the believer. May God help us to be warned not to take up the sword of vengeance. So in conclusion, I want to ask you a question. Have you been hurt? Have you been offended? Has somebody sinned against you? Said something about you that you just can't believe they actually said it. Gossiped, lied, in some way brought pain in your life or worse yet, in the life of somebody you love. How are you gonna respond? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us that we're to resist the temptation to pick up the sword. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. We must resent, resist the temptation to pick up the sword and smite those who have offended us. And in case you're having a hard time resisting that temptation, then let me encourage you to learn a lesson from Absalom. For two years... For two years, he sought an opportunity to take up the sword. And finally, he did it. In a celebration time. By the way, those, some, those can be dangerous for families, can't they? Thanksgiving, Christmas, when everybody wants to air out their disagreements. It ruins it, doesn't it? He allowed hatred to occupy him and eventually to overcome him. He allowed it just to sit there every day for two years. And eventually it took over. He began to distrust and later to despise his own father, David. Well, he didn't do anything about it. Well, I'm not going to trust him to do anything about it. By the way, he was the one ordained as king to do something about it. But we know because of his own sin, he was in a weakened state, right? So Absalom began to distrust and despise his own father. He said, well, I talked to so-and-so about it, but they didn't do anything about it. Well, maybe they couldn't. Or maybe there's more to the story than you know. He pretended to desire reconciliation, 
but he lied. Had a smile on his face. I could see him shaking hands. Hey, brothers, good to see all of you. Hey, Amnon, so glad you could make it. And with the right hand of fellowship and the left hand with a dagger, he was ready to end his life. He conspired. He killed him. He fled. And then eventually, if you know the story, if you know where this ends up for Amnon, where does it end up? In the trees. He's caught in the thicket. And Joab kills him with the sword or with a dart. What did Jesus warn Peter? In Matthew 26, 52, when Peter took his sword in the garden, when they came to arrest him, Jesus said, put up again thy sword into his place. That's good advice. Let me read it again. Put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. So put the sword away. Learn from Absalom. And then leave the sword in the Lord's hands. That's what some of you need to do this morning. You, you, you know exactly who's wronged you and how they've wronged you. And it's eating you alive. And you can't wait to see him get what's coming. That's not the way of Christ. And by the way, that's not the way he's dealt with you. So lay the sword down and give it to Jesus. And do something that only God can do through you. Choose to forgive. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.